Lord, we thank you so much for your grace, and uh, Lord, what a privilege that I have uh, to talk to not just the high schoolers, but also to uh, the rest of the youth group as well. Uh, it's been a long time, Lord, and so as you know, I do pray that you would be gracious to us and that your spirit would be working in our hearts, and um, Lord, even if this is something that the kids might already know, we do pray that in some ways that your spirit would be convicting and challenging and transforming people into the image of your son. We do thank you. We love you guys all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as I had mentioned, um, we have not met together as a junior high high school group uh, in a long time. Actually, the last time was in 2015. Uh, so that was like four years ago. So four years ago, a lot of you guys were a lot cuter. Uh, some of you guys didn't even, weren't even here. Uh, and now it's 2019 and well, snowflakes. Um, but I, simpler, it was a simpler time, I guess. But, um, you know, I think if, if, if you think that it's a little uh, random that we're actually talking about technology, it's kind of, it's because it actually kind of is. Uh, just kidding, it's not, but kind of. Um, there's a dual reason why we're having this, uh, this talk on technology, and I do hope that uh, this would actually provoke more conversations, not only here in the youth ministry, but also in your homes as well. Um, but the first reason is kind of funny, so I'm just going to start with that one first. And so uh, um, maybe half a year ago, uh, Compass, uh, the parent, your, your parents' ministry, the, the, the group that's meeting in the gym right now, uh, had invited a guy to come speak uh, on technology. And this guy uh, was invited by a family at Lighthouse, and so we trusted the family and we trusted uh, the guy who would come. Um, but we didn't know who the guy was. Uh, no one really knew what to expect. And uh, he was a really nice guy. But when you title your, your technology talk Digital Dangers, you kind of know what his bent on technology is. Um, now, I wasn't even there for the presentation. Um, and so I need to say this as charitably and as kindly as possible without making any kind of assumption. Um, but from what I heard, his presentation only covered uh, the dangers and the problems of technology. But don't worry, the, FBI, the FBI's got your back. Um, but if you use Snapchat, beware or else. Um, and so that's why I've titled my talk, uh, Digital Dangers Part 2, uh, Living Off the Grid. Just kidding, it's not. Um, but um, it's, it's very funny if it actually was. Um, no, but it's titled Pursuing Wisdom and Goodness in a Digital Age. Actually, rather, it's Pursuing Goodness and Wisdom in a Digital Age. Now, it's not that what he was saying was untrue, but um, there obviously are a lot of obvious dangers of using social media, of using technology as with anything. But I think that if we begin the discussion of technology with what's terrible and what's bad about it, we will start asking all the wrong questions. You guys follow along? Junior high, you guys follow along? Yeah? yeah? Okay. If we're taught that the world is only a dangerous place, we will not be inclined to live in faith, but in fear. We will play defense rather than offense. We will start asking questions like, what will keep me safe? What will others think of me? Uh, what will happen if I make a mistake in my life? Uh, why can't others just tell me what to do with my life? And as much as we need to ask most of these kinds of questions, don't ask the last one, these questions will not help us live in hope or in wisdom. If we obsess over making the right choices, and obviously there are right choices, uh, we will end up making a lot of wrong ones. Why? Because in wanting to make safe and right decisions, we're not actually growing in wisdom and discernment. Now, if you've grown up at uh, a church, at Lighthouse, maybe even for, for any length of time, uh, you might have heard the word discernment thrown around here and there. 
And I think for most of us, if not all of us, when we hear that word, we tend to have negative associations with the word discernment. Usually, when we hear the word discernment, it's typically used in the context of staying away from danger or staying away from bad stuff. Like, you need to be discerning with what you listen to on Spotify or you need to be discerning on what you watch on Netflix or on YouTube. But here is what's interesting, or at least what I think is interesting. Everywhere else, outside of church context, whether uh, in art or music or food or movies, when we say that someone has a discerning eye or a discerning palate, we're saying that someone has developed and cultivated an appreciation for quality, not badness. When we say that someone has discerning tastes, what we're really saying is that this person knows what the good stuff is. When you learn to understand what makes a piece of art great or what makes a piece of music great or sound beautiful, what what you're doing is developing an instinct for goodness and quality. That is actually what discernment used broadly means. You're learning how to sift gold. And we, and it's so interesting because we use the word discerning in all of those different spheres in our, in all of our lives until we start talking about it in the church, which I think is completely ironic and actually kind of shameful because we start wagging our fingers and telling people that we need to be discerning about what we say or how we dress or how we spend our time. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be discerning about those things, but here's what I mean. When I was in third grade, For our segment on the California Gold Rush, my class and I went on a field trip to Sacramento, and somebody realized, like, wait, like, Sacramento is, like, nine hours away from L.A., and uh, some of you guys don't know this about me, but I'm actually from the Bay Area, so actually it was a two-hour drive, not a nine-hour drive, and on this trip, it was meant to help us experience what it would have been like to be a gold miner, and so our teacher had taken taken us to a farm uh, where we would sift and pan for gold which I later found out was just spray-painted gold rocks, uh, which really was a damper. And one thing that our teacher had said was that in our pursuit of gold, we would also have to sift the bad stuff out too. Searching for the good stuff will also mean that we will sift the bad stuff out. But being discerning isn't actually a hunt for what is bad in our lives, but actually is a hunt and a search and a pursuit of what is good. To be discerning is to actually pan for what is good and to know the difference between what's good and what isn't. Which brings us to the main reason why, after nine minutes, uh, why we wanted to talk about technology. I don't expect this talk to solve everything. In fact, I don't really think that this talk is going to solve anything at all. I've already talked through a sixth of my supposedly 30-minute time limit. But the point of this talk is to awaken, to awaken, and to cultivate a desire an instinct in pursuit of goodness, the goodness of God and wisdom in a digital age. And so that's the key idea, that's the, that's the key idea for uh, tonight's little talk. It is pursuing goodness and wisdom in a digital age. What does that actually look like? The first is pursuing goodness. Pursue goodness. And so the question that I want to ask and answer this evening, hopefully, is 
What should the Christian's response and relationship be with technology and social media? What should the, rela- the Christian's relationship be with technology and social media? That's an important question that we have to ask if we're Christians. But in other words, the question that I'm really asking is, what is the Christian's relationship with the creation? What is the Christian's relationship with God's creation? And as I answer this question, a principle that I will refer back to over and over again is that God creates goodness, humanity distorts goodness, and God restores goodness. So let me, let me, repeat, let me repeat that. God creates goodness, humanity distorts goodness, and God restores goodness. And before I give any practical suggestions on living in our digital age, we need to know whether technology is something good to have, something bad to have, or just something neutral. And Pastor Jason had kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to be very explicit about this. In In the opening pages of Genesis, we are told that when God creates, what he creates is very, very good. And what this tells us is that there's nothing neutral at all in all of God's creation. There is nothing neutral at all in all of God's creation. God's creation is meant to be very good. And knowing that God's creation is meant to be very good should actually shape, even now, our understanding of technology. Bless you. As God's creation through human creativity, technology is meant to be very good. That has to be, this has to be our starting point right here. That technology in and of itself is good. It's created by God. It's given a gift for God's people. But what does it mean to pursue goodness? The first is that pursuing goodness means that we need to be aware of goodness. We need to be aware of goodness. We know that as much as God creates goodness, so much of the world is just not good. If you're thinking thoughtfully about what I'm saying, you, you, I think, are very aware of the fact that the world is not a particularly good place to live in. God creates goodness and humanity, again, distorts goodness. People use technology to exploit others. We know people who are addicted to their phones. We might even be such people ourselves. We are consumed by what others think of us, leading us to anxiety or depression even. So from, every, from our everyday experience, it doesn't seem like technology is that good. People don't talk very favorably about it. We just, it's, it's just there. But learning discernment actually shows us that even in the midst of the bad stuff, the good stuff is still there. Discernment doesn't ignore the brokenness of the world. Discernment doesn't deny that things need to be made right and fixed. Discernment doesn't dismiss sin and sweep it under the rug. But what discernment does is it helps us see the world for what it is, for what it was made to be, and believe that God is actually powerful enough to restore it back to its original intention and design. There's a story that I love to share, and I'm, I'm sorry that um, if you've heard it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that half of you guys, half of you guys already have. Um, it's not even my story, but uh, Megan's brother, uh, Jesse, uh, and I used to work at the same coffee shop called the Conservatory. And uh, some of you guys already know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and Pastor Tim uh, would occasionally ask uh, Jesse to pick up some beans for him from the coffee shop. 
Now, something to know about Pastor Tim, uh, the guy that we saw on the screen. Pastor Tim uh, loves coffee, as he had mentioned. He loves uh, thinking about coffee, dreaming about coffee. Pastor Tim has, is very particular about the kind of coffee that he drinks. He, he likes light roast coffee, uh, and the conservatory doesn't really roast light roast coffee. It's usually dark roast. Now, um, the fact that uh, so one day, uh, Pastor Tim had uh, asked Jesse if he can pick him, pick him up a bag of coffee. Um, and when usually Pastor Tim asks us that, it means that he's you know down to the, you know the last bean. Uh, so he's pretty desperate. And so Jesse uh, decides to prank Tim. And so Jesse, in fact, does get the beans that Pastor Tim wants. But instead, what he does is he relay, re, he relabels the bag. And he labels it French roast, which is the darkest roast that you can get. It doesn't taste good at all, okay? And so he picks it up, and he goes over to Tim's house, and he knocks on uh, Tim's door, and uh, he shows him the bag of coffee that he got for him. And Pastor Tim clearly sees that the bag is labeled French roast, and it's not what he had asked. And so Pastor Tim, his face drops, and he just, with the, the most clenched face possible, he's just like, Thanks, man. It's like the most like awkward thing. It's like, it's like Pastor Tim is like the night. If you know Pastor Tim at all, he is the nicest guy in the world. He will never say a bad thing. Actually, sometimes he does. Um, <laughs> about sin. He's really serious about sin, okay? Um, now, why do I, why do I bring this stuff, this story up? One is because it's hilarious. Uh, but secondly, and, and most importantly, it's because if you know him at all, Pastor Tim is probably the most thankful and, and gracious person that you'll ever meet, even in the face of wrong, even in the face of bad. Even when he eats, by all standards, a terrible meal, Tim will always somehow manage to find the good in the bad. He's exactly the kind of person who would not let the bad overshadow the good. As Christians, we need to be, we need to be the first people who are able to spot the goodness of God in a world that is often so bad. This needs to be where we start. And I just want to make one practical application of this. How many of you guys, um, ever have been paralyzed by the amount of decisions and choices that you have to make as a junior higher or high schooler? Show of hands. None of you guys? Just Morgan? Just Garrett? Really? And, and Zach? Okay, no, maybe none of you guys. Okay, maybe this won't apply to you guys at all. Okay, doesn't matter. Maybe you guys are thinking, I don't know which event to go to. Um, I don't know which college to attend or high school to attend. Maybe So, okay, ring a bell here? Maybe not. Uh, maybe you guys aren't going to college at all. Uh, I don't know whether I should get an iPhone or an Android phone. I don't know if I should commit to this or to that. And what I think we often fail to recognize and realize in those choices is the abundance of those choices. The abundance of those choices. What I'm trying to say here is that we have too much goodness, not too little goodness. The problem isn't that we have too little goodness in our world, but too much of it, if, we, if that can even be a problem at all. Your problem isn't that your life is bad. Your problem is that your life is too good. And the first thing that we need to recognize in pursuing goodness is thankfulness and gratitude. We have too many good options and problems that we're facing, uh, and problems that we're facing is an abundance of goodness. And it is from this heart of thankfulness and gratitude that stops our fear of making the wrong choice. 
How many of you guys are fearful of making wrong decisions in your life? I think all of us are. I think some of us really believe that if we don't make the right choice or decision, God is not going to bring goodness into my life. I am prohibiting God from bringing goodness into my life. But the abundance of goodness means, in our life, means that we will never ever miss out on God's goodness. So shout out to all my, you know, FOMO people here. God has already brought goodness into your life. Why will he not bring goodness into your life in the future? God is the pursuer of your joy. And so as you seek him, your life is going to be filled with goodness. You're not going to miss out. It may not exactly turn out the way that you had hoped, but as you fix your eyes on the goodness of God, your life will be full of his goodness. And I don't know what that looks like for you guys. That might look differently for different people. But what I, what I can assure you of is that as you seek your eyes on the goodness of the creator God, your life will be full of goodness, especially as someone who is in Jesus Christ. Secondly, pursuing goodness means that our ideas of goodness need to be calibrated. Our, our, our understanding, our ideas of goodness need to be calibrated. Now, I've talked a lot about goodness and it sounds good, but I, I think not one person in this room will agree on what goodness actually is. What do I mean when I say that we should pursue goodness in things like technology? I want you guys to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses, verse 8. And, you know, for this, uh, for this message, I will allow you to, to swipe there, okay? Um, but actually, I do want to encourage you guys that when we come on Friday nights, I encourage you guys to actually bring a physical Bible I don't know if you guys realize how actually formative it is to actually open up a book. Yes, it's made of paper. Uh, you might have heard of it. Um, and to actually read it rather than to go on your phone. Not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I would just really encourage you guys to bring your Bibles, physical Bibles, and to actually bring it home with you. You know, like, like at the end of Friday night, I pick up like seven Bibles. I kid you not. And they're all in the lost and found. And some of you guys on Sunday are like, hey, have you guys seen my Bible? I'm like, yeah. It's on my desk because there's a stack of them. Anyway, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Verse 8, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. Chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians. Finally, brothers, what is, whatever is true, whatever, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. The list that Paul gives us here is the sift, a filter that determines what is good and what is bad. So if your idea of goodness is not from this list, guess what? This needs to be your list of what determines what is good and what is bad. So let's just think practically here for a second. Okay, I'm going I'm to start moving more and more practical as we uh, move forward. But whenever you are on your phone, you need to be thinking about whether what you are listening to or what pictures you're looking at is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence, anything worthy of praise. Does what I, so, so a question that I want you guys to think about is does what I am listening to or the kind of photos that I'm looking at accurately represent God and the world around me? Or does it distort God 
and the world around me? Is it telling me lies? Here's another question I want you guys to ask. Does what you're watching or how you're communicating with others bring honor to God? Or does your conduct and how you spend your time on your phone shame him? Does your time on your phone actually shame the living God? One of the things about social media is that it is quickly turning our culture into an honor-shame culture. Are we using our phones to bring honor to God or to others or to shame God or others? I wish I had more time, but the list can go on and on. The pursuit of goodness means that how we use technology, must, as good as it is, must be conformed to God's standard of goodness. Whatever is truthful, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Is what you're looking at on your phone, is how you use your phone in any way, does it crack this list at all? Rather, so, so some of you guys are like, well, okay, Pastor Eric, like, give me a list of things I need to do and I'll get there. But for now, rather than just giving you a 10-step list of what to do and what not to do, in pursuing goodness, in, in helping you guys pursue goodness, in, these, in, in cultivating these virtues, I'm helping you to see, and I'm help, your heart is actually being cultivated to be the kind of people who choose goodness. You want to you wanna see how, how you can honor God on your, using your phone? Think about the virtues that we just talked about. Are you the kind of person who would habitually choose goodness, purity, honor, justice? If I told you the right app to use or the right school to go to or the right movie to watch or the right music to listen to, I would have helped you maybe perhaps make the right decisions. But would I have helped you make a, be a wiser person? I'm not sure if I would have. What we really need is a cultivation of virtues that make us virtuous Christians rather than, rather than just merely Christians who can, who know, who, who can, who, who can say the right thing or say the right prayer or do the right thing. The genius of Paul's words here is that if we seek this kind of goodness, we will also end up being transformed by the same goodness. If it's, so just, just hear me out for a second, okay? Example. If we spent 15 minutes of our time watching dumb videos, can you imagine what it does to us every day for 15 minutes? It makes us dumb people. And it reveals that we were, we were actually dumb in the first place for watching those videos. If we spent 15 minutes on our phones dwelling on how we can get the attention and approval of others, guess what that will do to you? We will be enslaved by their opinions and reveal that we were people pleasers all along. So look at your habits. What are you doing in your pursuit of goodness in the Christian life? And on the other hand, what will our digital habits look like if we cultivated an instinct for goodness? Things that actually are true. Things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, praiseworthy. When we pursue his goodness, God transforms us and turns us into the kind of people who are trustworthy, just, lovely, wise, and good. All right, the second point 
the second point, so the first point is to pursue goodness. That's always where we want to start. The second is we want to pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. And so with the remainder of our time, I want to help you consider what it means practically to not only pursue goodness, but to also bless you to pursue wisdom. And so we know that God creates goodness, but humanity also distorts goodness, which means that we are often prone to distorting the goodness of technology because we often lack wisdom and discernment. So what does it mean to pursue wisdom as we use technology? Well, the first, the first, and maybe, maybe to the relief of some of you guys, the first is that unplugging and living under a rock is not necessarily the answer. So how do we actually use technology well and wisely? Well, the first that we have to consider uh, in using and pursuing wisdom in technology is that you, we must use wisdom or use technology while keeping an eye on, on your heart. You need to keep an eye on your heart. Now, one of the things that many of us either forget or fail to realize because we just do it so often is that social media is a projection of who you are in the, the digital world. What we post or what we don't post reveals who you are as an individual. As much as you can hide behind the image that you can curate, even the act of hiding reveals who you really are. A person who is fearful of being truly seen. A person who is fearful of others knowing who you really are. And so unsurprisingly, when, when the Bible talks about desires and worship, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And so, especially as we use digital technology. And so in James chapter 4, I'm not going to have you guys turn there. It won't take too long. Uh, but the, the Apostle James, write, uh, James writes in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, he says, What causes quarrels and co- what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have, why? Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so the Apostle James is connecting our actions with our hearts, with what our hearts want, with what our hearts crave and desire. In, in verse 2, in, in verse 1, the Apostle James says that the reason why we have conflict with people, the reason why we have arguments with our siblings, the reason why we get mad at others, the reason why we do what we do is because of the desires of our hearts. And I think if you've been to Lighthouse, that's not new to any of you guys, very familiar. But I want you guys to think about it in the area of technology. So think of the way you use your cell phone, your, uh, your Instagram, uh, your video gaming, even as an extension of who you are and what you desire. What you watch on TV, what you listen to, what you text to your friends, what video game you play, what you choose to search for and look at on the internet, what you choose to post on whatever platform that you choose to do. Like apparently you guys don't even use Snapchat anymore. Um, I didn't even know that. Um, what you tend to do, what your digital habits, technological habits reveal are a lot about who you are as an individual. What you're like as a person, what you believe about life and God, what you desire and what you don't, what you like or don't like. And even if your parents don't let you do or have 
any kind of dig- uh, technology. It reveals a ton about who you are and what you wish you even had. And honestly, I don't even know what you guys look at on your phones, what pictures you like, or what kind of apps you use, what TV shows you, that you watch. But the point is that if you use digital technology, you tweet what you tweet, you look at what you look at, you click, you tap, you swipe, swipe ultimately because there's something that your heart wants, craves, worships, loves. Whatever your heart worships is what will motivate your digital habits. I want you guys to make that connection. And some of the, for some of you guys, that's like, that's clicking for you guys. But maybe for, for some other you guys, that is how, that is the progression of what, of, of why we do what we do is is mainly motivated by what we worship. How you use technology will fundamentally reveal your idolatry. Believe it or not what you submit your life to, what you dream about, what keeps you up at night, what gets you up in the morning. And so imagine, I just want you to imagine just for a second, it's a little thought experiment. Imagine technology and social media, your phone as a megaphone that is constantly projecting your thoughts, your desires, and worship. Wherever you are, it doesn't even have to be at church, wherever you are, in your pocket, at school, on the beach, in the car, everywhere. So a question I want to ask you guys is, does our usage of technology reveal distortions of God's creation or worship of God as creator? Does our usage of technology, does does how we use technology reveal distortions of God's goodness and creation or worship of God as creator? Does it reveal a love for God or a craving for what people think of us? And so if you use technology, use technology while keeping an eye on your heart. The second is use technology while being aware of its limitations. Use technology while being aware of its limitations. Uh, 40 years ago, um, actually, I, I should say probably maybe 50, year, 50 years ago now, a professor from Stanford University did a research study on the relationship between marshmallows and cute five-year-olds. And researchers brought uh, ch- children, f- five-year-old children, into a room, sitting them down in a chair, and placing a marshmallow on the table in front of them. And the, uh, the researcher offered a deal to the child. And the deal was that if the child, he, he, he told the child, the researcher told the child, that he was going to leave the room, and that if the child, child did not eat the marshmallow while he was away, then they would be rewarded with a second marshmallow. Okay, so easy said, easy done. But if the child decided to eat the first one before the researcher came back, then they would not get a second marshmallow. So the choice was simple. One treat now or two treats later. So the researcher left the room for 15 minutes. And the, as you can imagine, uh, the, the results were interesting. The footage of the children waiting alone in the room was, uh, was very funny and very cute. Uh, some kids jumped up and immediately ate the first marshmallow within the first few seconds of the researcher leaving. Um, a few others uh, wiggled and, and bounced and scooted in their chairs, as I think some of you guys are already doing right now, um, as they tried to restrain themselves, but eventually gave in to temptation a few minutes later. And finally, there were a few of the faithful children uh, who actually managed to wait the whole 15 minutes. I know, some of you guys are like, waiting, what a thing. Um, now, when the children grew up, 
The researchers at Stanford did follow-up studies, and they found that the children who were willing to delay gratification, delay getting the, the marshmallow, and waited to receive the second marshmallow, ended up generally doing better in life. And what the study showed was that there was a high correlation. Okay, mention. I want to be careful here. It wasn't. It wasn't the cause of their success in life. It was that there was a high correlation with success in life and delaying gratification. And that is the limitation of technology. Why or how? Because technology appeals to our desire and idol of convenience and instantaneous gratification. Does it not? If you just want to look something up, it's there instantly. Maybe it's a little slower if you know, you're not on Wi-Fi and you're not on LTE, but like on like, you know, 1X or something. Um, Technology appeals to our desire for easy everywhere. In other words, we never ever have to wait ever again. Which is why it doesn't surprise me that most of our junior high boys just don't wait in line to get snacks. So that's another time. Um, but everything is on demand. You want to watch highlight clips of the Warriors? Just actually just look up the subreddit, NBA TV streams, and you can get that for free. Don't do that. You're, che- uh, you're uh, actually... Pirating. Um, but you wanna, you wanna get that book that you want, that you, that you need to read for your book report by this Sunday? Amazon Prime. You wanna talk to someone across the globe, even though you might actually wake them up, uh, by now? Um, FaceTime. And that is the goodness of God. That is completely the goodness of God. But there are limitations to that kind of technology that I think none of us are actually quite aware of. Why? Because technology that is this instantaneous does not form us into patient or persevering people, nor does it particularly form us to be people who will take up our crosses and deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Do you guys catch what I'm saying here? Instantaneous technology does not form us into patient or persevering people nor does it particularly form us to be people who take up our crosses and follow Jesus daily. Because technology technology allows us to connect anywhere, it means that we can always disconnect and disengage when life is hard and difficult. Because with one tap or one swipe, we can escape from conversations that are difficult and we will no longer have the disciplines required when we have to get along with people that we don't like. Patience no longer has to be a virtue that has to be worked on or cultivated. You just have technology and it's instantaneous. So using technology sometimes means saying no. That in light of the limitations of technology, that in light of that, we have to say no to technology sometimes. But it's never for the sake of saying no. Using technology with discernment means that saying no is always saying some, saying yes to something far greater. Saying no for now may sometimes mean sacrificing God's good gifts and immediate enjoyment for something better. So I want you guys to turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verses 23 to 25. And I'm just going to read verse 23 for now. But Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Verse 23.
Jesus says, and he said to all his, his would-be followers, if anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so Jesus says right here that if you want to follow Jesus, there is a path that you need to walk on. And the path, if you want to follow Jesus, is not optional. It's the path of daily death to desires, especially even good ones. And it means that in our Christian lives, we give up certain desires like video gaming or watching TV, spending time online, even though they're God-given good things. Why? Is it because Jesus is a killjoy? Does Jesus just want to squash our fun and enjoyment just because? Well, look at verses 24 to 25. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. That is the cost. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Verse 25, for what will profit a man? For what, what, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The path of death is also the path, dare I say, to greater joy. Jesus calls us to give up certain things, even though they're good things, because what he is calling us to has greater priority. More joy, more happiness, more fulfillment in him. That means that with every daily death, you are resurrected with more and more interest. Turn, twi- turn quickly to Mark chapter 10. To illustrate this, I want to show, show you guys something. Mark chapter 10. No other gospel records this. Mark chapter 10. It's just the book the book before Luke. Mark 10, verses 28 to 30. So it's a parallel account. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold when now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions of course and in the age to come eternal life you know what's amazing about the list of sacrifices that jesus lists here in following jesus is that this list is a community of social relationships homes families land Similarly, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, texting is another community of social relationships. And what Jesus is saying here is that giving up and leaving social networks to follow Jesus now is nothing compared to the returns that you will receive in other forms of relationships. And what that tells us is that social media wasn't meant to replace human relationships. It was meant to enhance human relationships. A text message is meant to help you in your interaction with other people, not replace it. In other words, it is a gift, not a right. So if you sacrifice social media, Jesus promises a hundredfold of other human interaction and relationships that would not, that just simply would not have been possible if you did not sacrifice social media. In pursuing wisdom, what we're really pursuing is goodness. And sometimes the pursuit of goodness, as we've seen, requires that we sift out what is bad. 
Saying no isn't really saying no. Saying no now is really saying yes to something far greater. So maybe your parents don't allow you to have a smartphone just like all your friends do. But does it really mean that God wants you to miss out on life? Many Christians cling to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Where the Apostle Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of work, works. And, and people love it for good reason. It's, it's a great promise. It's a source of confidence. But we often forget verse 10 where he says that God ordained for us to walk in good works. What's the point? The same God who saved us by grace is the same God who will propel us toward goodness as we follow him. It may not be on your timetable. It may not even be what you anticipated, but you're not going to miss God's goodness in your life if you're going to follow Jesus. So what would it mean to die to self when it comes to using technology? It means asking if using this kind of technology will help me grow in being patient. Am I a more patient and charitable person when I text people? While dying to self doesn't mean completely removing your digital presence, it will mean asking whether or not I say a certain thing or comment on something, uh, or whether it will make me a wiser or kinder person. It means that you will really need to hold your digital tongue if you have nothing good or constructive to contribute. And I think a lot of us like to just say dumb stuff with our friends. It means that you don't have to be the first person to respond or the first person to comment on something. Dying to self also means that if you are not being more Christ-like, more godly, or thankful, but more bitter, more anxious, more envious of others, more annoying as a person, dying to, other, dying to self means that you need to consider to actually disengage with your technology. Set limits to how you use your phone. And so I want to, I want to give you a challenge. I'm going to start it today, Friday. But every day, I want to challenge you to not look at your phone for 15 minutes. I know, like, 15 minutes, okay? 15 minutes. And to increase it by five minutes every day for a whole week. So that by the end of the week, you will not have looked at your phone for a total of, can you believe it, 45 minutes. Wow. Now, don't do it while you're sleeping or napping. That's cheating. Um, but what I want to encourage you guys is, like, if if... There are things that are hindering you in your relationship with God. God calls us to be deliberate. He's, maybe we might need to delete certain apps. Maybe we need to unfollow certain people. Do whatever it takes to cultivate your relationship with God. There's nothing more important. Third, use technology with purpose and love. Use technology with purpose and love. Um, it's a funny story, but um, one of your parents was telling me about how one of you guys, and I know exactly who, but I'm not going to name you, uh, but um, one of you guys had a, had a sleepover at your house, and, uh, and the parent was telling me how, um, you know, with the youth and the other friends, um, he, was, he was just looking at the kids in his house, and in each corner of the house was a kid on their phone or on a tablet, at a sleepover. And the parent was like, you guys might as well just have done this in your homes, not in my own house. And you know, I think the default for most of us, myself included, is to just mindlessly veg and consume content. Like I just, I, I do it. I for sure do it. 
Uh, you're on your phone standing in line. Uh, you're on your phone when you're waiting for your food to come. You're on your phone when you're sitting on the toilet. Uh, it doesn't even matter if nothing interesting is going on. We just do it. And so a couple of suggestions that I want you guys to consider is when you pick up your phone, you should have a good reason for picking up your phone. Establish a purpose. I mean, other than like, you know, people like calling you for stuff or like, I guess, texting you. Establish a purpose for going on your phone and establish and identify times in your life when you don't need to be on your phone. If you choose to go on your phone, why do you want to? So much of our online obsession is really actually an obsession of ourselves. None of us are willing to admit that. But actually, I think most of us here are actually narcissists. One of those times, one of those times in which you disengage your phone is when you're actually talking with people. When you're actually with people. When you're with flesh and and bone people. May I encourage you to not look at your phone when someone is talking to you? Because guess what? It's kind of rude. And if someone is on their phone while you're talking to them, don't be tempted to flip your phone open. And so in what ways are you being loving and kind as you use your phone? Seek to be loving as you use technology. Include others. Don't isolate them. Fourth, and finally, it's 9.45. How long have I gone? Gone for 46 minutes. All right. That's including our admission. Okay, so. Uh, all right. Last is use technology as a form of resistance. Use technology as a form of resistance. You know, one of the, one of the most, one of the greatest, the most subversive, most countercultural things that we can do right now as Christians in the 21st century digital world is to use our phones and our technology differently than the rest of the culture does. That's so simple, but so countercultural. What I don't mean is that we live like the Amish, you know, we churn our own butter, uh, we put our phones away, we use sundials to keep track of time. That's not what I'm saying. What I really mean is that as Christians, the relationships that we have with our phones, our laptops, our tablets, whatever, does not control us. That we are a people who are not obsessed with constantly refreshing our feeds. That we use technology, technology wisely and purposefully. That in a world of hot takes, we pursue kindness, wisdom, and goodness. A healthy barometer, a healthy barometer of this, of this youth group is are we serving, engaging, and worshiping Jesus in ways that are public enough to make our non-Christian friends and neighbors puzzled about our presence here? Let me repeat that. Are we, are we serving? Are we engaging and worshiping Jesus in ways that are public enough to make our non-Christian friends and neighbors puzzled about our presence here? Would anyone even notice if Christians were missing from your school? Would anyone notice that as a Christian, you are missing from your school? So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to use technology as a form of countercultural resistance to pursue goodness. And in so doing, as we pursue goodness, as we pursue what is wise and what is good in a digital age, we are proclaiming to the world 
that a good God sent his good son to make us good once again. God creates goodness. Humanity distorts goodness, but God restores goodness. God saw nothing good or lovely in us and said, I am going to move toward them. I will trade my loveliness for their unloveliness. I'm going to do what no one could do and in Jesus and and substitute myself in their place on the cross. And through my death and resurrection, my love is going to make them good, make them pure, make them lovely, make them truthful, make them honorable. And my love is going to purify them. They will be my people and I will be their God. And my love is going to make them shine in this world. Isn't that what you guys are learning in 1 Peter? Isn't that what we're learning in 1 Corinthians? To be a countercultural community that demonstrates Jesus' worth in our lives? It is more than enough for us to look at the brokenness of this world and still delight in the goodness that, that remains. Because when we look at the world around us, with discerning eyes, we can see the work that God is doing in this world and in our lives to make all things new and good. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that as much as we might know all this stuff already, and what's ironic is that even though we think that we we know, we actually don't because we don't live it out. But Lord, I do pray that your spirit will be working in our hearts that you would put into practice the kind of things that we had learned tonight and that the way that we even use our phones tonight would be changed. That as people who worship Jesus, that we look at your creation differently than the way that the rest of the world looks at your creation and that we would be a people who are content, not just content, but people who pursue goodness, pursue wisdom in a world that desperately needs both goodness and wisdom. And so, Father, we thank you. Uh, We love you. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Uh, There are no...